So um, over the years, uh, Hollywood has introduced uh, a variety of characters to us. And some of them have uh, more memorable entrances than others. And so I just wanted to highlight a few of them just real quickly, just three of them. The first one is Willy Wonka. And uh, even as you see this picture, if you've seen the movie, you remember that just a few seconds later, he did a somersault. The second one uh, is Apollo Creed. And, of course, you remember his costume uh, and his dancing. And then this third picture, it's just a glass with water. But most of you remember that this was the disturbed water just before the T-Rex in Jurassic Park made his grand entrance. Now, today's message is called Long Live the King. We've been working our way uh, through Matthew. And uh, today we're talking about Palm Sunday, the day that the Lord Jesus Christ made his grand entrance into Jerusalem. And uh, there was just this great, uh, the way the people responded. So uh, if you have a Bible, you can be turning to Matthew 21. And um, the majority of our text will be there. But our three points today will be almighty, adored, and antagonized. So again, our message is called Long Live the King. We'll be in Matthew 21. If you don't have a Bible, you can just follow along. We'll have the verses on screen. And our three points are almighty, adored, and antagonized. So let's pray together. Let's see what God has for us. Dear Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Lord, in all things you're faithful. And Lord, uh, it's been over 2,000 years ago since these events took place. But still we can remember them, Lord. There was significance to the events that affected the people back then and affects us now, Lord, and affects everyone on the planet. So, God, I pray that your words would penetrate our hearts and that you would change us, Lord, and make us more like you. Thank you, Lord. You really are an awesome God. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Okay, so our first point today is almighty. And when we think about God, we know he is almighty. He is all-knowing. I mean, he is awesome. God's characteristics are what set him apart from anyone or anything else in the entire universe. He even knows everything. And our story today, just before Jesus enters Jerusalem, he demonstrates this amazing attribute of knowing everything. But before we jump into Jesus' story, it'll be helpful if we travel back a thousand years before Christ and we go to the day when God's people first requested an earthly king. So that starts in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4. And as we read these verses and these stories, we'll see that it sheds light uh, on the story of Christ entering Jerusalem. So here we are again, a thousand years or so before Christ. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4. And it says this, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel. He was the prophet. They came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now, appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. So at first glance, it appears as if the people are rejecting Samuel as their prophet. And then the other thing is that they want to be like all the other nations. A few verses later, God consoles the prophet Samuel. And we find that in 1 Samuel 8, verse 7. 
it says, And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Understand that the very idea that God's people requested a king, actually demanded a king, an earthly king, it was displeasing in God's sight. God's plan from the beginning, when he began the nation of Israel, was that it would be a theocracy, which means that they would be ruled not by an earthly king, but by Almighty God himself. And that he would be the one that took care of them. Now, the nation as a whole was rejecting that idea. They were rejecting God. And they said, instead of a theocracy, we want a monarchy. We want an earthly king. And it tells you that the reason was that because they wanted to be like the other nations. So Samuel responds to them a little bit later and he tells them how uh, this king is going to be. And he lets them know that they're going to regret their choice. So we see this in 1 Samuel 8 verse 10. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people. Verse 11, he said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. And now he begins to describe this king who we find out in a bit would be King Saul. He was the first king over Israel. But he says this. He says he will take your sons. Verse 13. He will take your daughters. Verse 14. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards. Verse 18. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. God made it very clear. It was like he was saying to Israel through Samuel. He was saying, I'm going to give you what you've requested, but you are going to be sorry. Now, just keep those things in mind because we're going to fast forward to the days of Jesus. And after a bit, it's going to all tie in. But here we are in the days of Jesus. and He was preparing to enter Jerusalem. So he begins by giving instructions to his disciples. So we're in Matthew 21. Verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. Okay, so let's break that down. First of all, in verse 2, he gives these strange instructions and he tells them, go into the village and you're going to find a donkey and then the rest of the instructions that he gives. Okay, in verse 3, he tells them this. He says, if anyone says, uh, you know, like has any kind of issue with it, he says, you shall say four words, the Lord needs them. Now, before we move on, I want you to think about this and picture yourself as one of the disciples. Picture yourself like you don't know the end of the story, okay? Because I'm thinking most of everybody here, if not everybody, already knows how the story turns out. But try to picture it as if you were one of those two disciples. And Jesus turns to you, I think about this, and he says, all right, I want you to go into Jerusalem, and you're going to find this donkey and this colt, and I just want you to take them. 
Okay. Does that feel a little different to you when you hear it that way? And then before you object, Jesus anticipating a possible conversation. He says, if anyone says anything, well, think about it. Who's the person that's going to say anything? It's going to be the owner. Okay. So here you are. You're disciples of Jesus. You're swiping these two animals. If anybody says anything, it's going to be the owner. And Jesus says this. He says, no matter what anyone says to you, tell them these four words. The Lord. What was it? The Lord needs them. And that's supposed to make you feel better about this. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's talk about this for a minute. Okay. Jesus, because he knew everything, right? He was almighty God in human form. He was already anticipating this conversation. And he tells them four words. The Lord needs them. Why would that suffice? If this owner says something, just tell him the Lord needs them. Well, here's my thought. That Jesus knew that the owner knew about the prophecy. Long ago, there was a prediction that when the king came to Jerusalem, he would come riding on a donkey with a colt. He would be aware of this prophecy. And so when the owner would object to his two animals being taken, then all they had to say was the Lord needs them. And he would tie the thoughts together and he would surprise the disciples and say, Oh, okay. <laughs> the things that Jesus asked them to do. Uh, the next verse actually refers to that very prediction. So we see that in Matthew 21, verse 4. It says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, in verse 5, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. If you want to look this up later, um, it's in the Old Testament. You'll find it in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And it should be written in your, in your bulletin. So, but it's Zechariah 9, verse 9. <clears throat> this was a fulfillment of prophecy. And again, demonstrating that God knows everything. And when he makes a prediction, I mean, you can bet on it. It's going to come true. God always, always keeps his promises. So let's recap What's happened so far in Jesus' story? Number one, he was fulfilling a prophecy. And also he was demonstrating his omniscience, the fact that he knew everything. When he told him, go in the village, you find a donkey and colt, uh, and be prepared for this specific conversation. Now, we started today talking about King Saul. And so I want you to know that the two stories are actually uh, tied together. And so this story that we're reading about here with Jesus entering into Jerusalem, he's the true king coming to Jerusalem. But it echoes back to the days when Israel demanded their first earthly king. Because when Saul, before he was king, when he met the prophet Samuel, Samuel actually spoke some strange instructions to him as well. Just like Jesus did to his two disciples. So we're just going to breeze through those, but let's read them together. So we're in um, uh, 1 Samuel again, chapter 10. And beginning at verse 2, this is Samuel's instructions to Saul. And we're going to skip parts of it, but I just want you to get the idea that 
just how specific these instructions were. In verse 2, Samuel tells Saul, When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin. And then if you continue reading it, you'll see that Samuel actually predicts the very words those two men would speak. Verse 3, Then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. One carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. How specific. But the only reason Samuel knew this is because God had told him, right? And God is always right. Verse 5, after that, you shall come to Gibeath Elohim. As soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets. Watch this. Coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre. Okay? The idea is that there's some parallels between the story of Jesus entering Jerusalem, the true king entering Jerusalem, and the first king who um, was appointed as, as king over Israel. Long ago, right, a thousand years before Christ, Israel had rejected God and demanded an earthly king. But now at this point on this first Palm Sunday, the rightful king, the true king was coming to Jerusalem and he was actually, watch this y'all, he was actually almighty God in human form. Okay, here's some of the irony. Israel accepted the bad king back in the past, a thousand years before Christ, they rejected God and they accepted this bad king even though they were warned that they were going to be sorry. But now, when the true king came, although they adored him on Palm Sunday, it was just a few days later that they rejected him as well. They rejected their true king. And watch this. They rejected Almighty God for a second time. Now, if we continue comparing the two, We'll see this. When you look at Saul, remember we read that list what Samuel prophesied how Saul was going to be? He said he was going to take and take. He's going to take your sons. He's going to take your daughters. He's going to take the best of your fields and vineyards. But now the true king was coming to Jerusalem. And you know what? Jesus did not come to take anything from the people. In fact, the very opposite. He came to give. And beyond that, he came to give himself. It's an amazing thing when when you begin to compare the stories. So here's the idea. God is almighty. He is all-knowing. He is awesome. And he is able to take care of his people in miraculous ways. When I think about uh, some of the answers to prayer over the years, um, all kind of different stories come to mind. And so here's one that's just it's just very uncanny. This happened years ago. Uh, I used to go to this camp in uh, the middle of nowhere, Florida, and it was called Camp Kalakwa. And uh, sometimes we took a bunch of youth. Sometimes we just brought the uh, the band. But the reason I would go is because there was a church from further south um, in Florida and they would bring 200 junior high kids. And they asked me to come and lead worship. And so I would bring the youth band. 
Now, the main uh, guy that was in the band uh, for years was a guy named Kevin Roig. Some of y'all might remember him, okay? But there was other uh, students that grew up around here. Uh, and yeah, I, I can't start mentioning names because we'll be here for a bit. But uh, but here's what happened is, is Kevin and I, uh, you know, we would try to plan out together, you know, how we were going to do the band at this camp. And so uh, usually all the band members were believers who were growing in their faith. This year as I prayed about camp, I felt like we should take someone who did not know the Lord or was distant from the Lord and that we could make that person our little project. And so I told Kevin, I said, hey, man, as I'm praying, I'm thinking about this, that we're supposed to bring someone who is a bit distant from God to be our drummer. And Kevin says, I know just the guy. His name is Charlie. Okay, so when I met Charlie, it was the day we were leaving on the trip. And Charlie, you just want to remember this, had this really deep voice. I can't even do it, but just a super deep voice. He was a great drummer, by the way. All right. So the first day we set out and we would cut the trip in half and we would stay at a hotel uh, and get to know each other a bit. Uh, The next day was the first time we were going to practice together. So we arrive at camp and about five hours later, these 200 kids are coming and we're supposed to lead worship. It was then when we arrived at camp and we were unpacking when Charlie realized something. He unpacked his drums and realized he had not brought his cymbals. Now, I don't know how much you know about drums and music, but in simple terms, you can't play drums without cymbals. Okay, you got to have the cymbals. And like I say, we're in the middle of nowhere, Florida. We were in, uh, it was called High Springs, a little teeny town, and there was no uh, music store there to speak of. So we're thinking, all right, how are we going to get cymbals? So option one would be to drive 20 miles to Gainesville, Florida, and find a music store. But that would have been so costly to buy cymbals, and we just didn't have the money. So that was option one. Option two was to get Charlie's mom to uh, to FedEx the symbols to us, which again would be costly, but we still wouldn't see them till the next day. So somehow we needed a miracle. So I had this novel idea. Hey, guys, let's pray. <laughs> so we gathered ourselves together and, and we just asked God, you know, Lord, we are in need and we need you to do something big like now, you know. And so while we were praying, I thought about this little church that we had passed by on the way in. And it was only about a mile or so or two miles from the camp. So I thought, look, guys, let's just try. Let's just go. You know, you have not because you asked. Not. Let's just go ask and see what they have. I mean, we didn't know if they were going to be in the church at the time, like if anyone was going to be there. And we didn't know if they even had a set of drums. So we went to that church and we go in, we meet the pastor and we tell him our plight And this is what he said, y'all. This is how God answered our prayer. He said, we just recently purchased brand new symbols. He says, they're not even out the box yet. And we don't need them until Sunday. And he says, y'all can borrow them. And he didn't know us. You know, he says, y'all can borrow them. Just bring them back before Sunday. We walk out of the building. I mean, we are sky high, y'all. And I turned to Charlie and I said, hey, Charlie, I said, you know, this isn't a coincidence, right? And in his deep voice, he goes, well, uh, that's enough to make you turn religious. (laughs) 
God is almighty, y'all. God is almighty. And look, I firmly believe he has answered prayers in the past. He can answer your prayers the same way. I'm going to throw this into sometimes people will tell pastors like they'll tell Marcus or they'll tell me you have a direct line to the Lord. You know, it's like, man, guess what? If you know the Lord, you have a direct line to God. God wants to hear your prayers and he loves big faith. You know, if you don't have big faith, get your kids to pray, man. Kids will ask God for crazy stuff and he answers. Okay, our second point today is adored. Uh, so that very first Palm Sunday when Christ entered Jerusalem, the reaction he got was he was adored. So we continue our story in Matthew 21, verse 6. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. So this is the instructions about the donkey and all that, okay? So verse 7, they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Verse 8, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. So let's let's break that down a bit. Verse six mentions this, uh, that the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed. So I just want to point out Jesus disciples, they loved him and they obeyed him, even though they didn't always understand what he was telling them. But as best they could, they tried to follow his directions. And that's a principle for you and me, by the way. Verse 8, it mentions the crowd's response. Oops, let me back up a little bit. In verse 7, sometimes people ask about the significance of a donkey. So just briefly, um, whenever a king rode a donkey, it meant he was coming in peace. That's the the significance of that. And uh, other times, kings, like if they were going to war... They would ride their war horse. Well, in this case, when Jesus came, the true king of Israel, even though the father had already been rejected, even though he knew he was going to be rejected eventually, he still came riding on a donkey. And it was a sign of peace to the nation of Israel. If you want to read a description of how he's going to look when he comes back, you can find that. In the last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. And it mentions he's going to be riding a white horse. And there's significance to that as well. And he'll be leading his armies. He'll be coming on different terms when he comes back. But for now in our story, he was coming on a donkey. And he was offering peace. The crowd's response is in verse 8. It mentions that they spread their cloaks... And cut branches from the trees. So this is a response equal to receiving a king. It's equal to receiving royalty. So it'd be like rolling out the red carpet for a king or queen or a celebrity. It's like saying this person's feet are so important that they should not even touch the ground. And in fact, he was riding a donkey. So they're saying even his donkey's hooves, right, should not touch the dirt on the ground. That's how they were responding to him when he came. Don't forget this. Only five days later, they were calling for his crucifixion. That's how fickle people can be, right? Matthew 21, verse 9. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That word Hosanna literally means this. 
It means save us, we pray. Originally, it was a cry for help. You could translate it, oh, save us now, or please save us. And it expresses intense emotion. But that's what Hosanna means. Save us now. Keep that in mind. The other thing they called out to him was they called him son of David. And this reminds us of the kings of old. So we're going back, we're going back a thousand years before Christ again, right? Everybody remembered that Saul overall got low scores as a king. Okay. Overall, he did a bad job as king, but he was followed by two kings. First was King David, who was arguably one of the best kings Israel ever had. And the next one was Solomon, his son. Under King David, all of Israel's enemies were wiped out. So he was a king of war. So just keep that in mind. King David wiped out the enemies. The very next king was King Solomon. And his kingdom was one of peace and prosperity. So let's try to tie all these ideas together. Here's the people as the true king is coming to town. And they're calling out, Hosanna, son of David. If you tie the ideas together, what they're saying is, save us now. But they weren't talking about a spiritual salvation. They were talking about their Roman enemies, their literal uh, physical enemies. And so thinking in human terms, the crowd was saying, save us now from our Roman enemies And as they call him son of David, they're also saying, and bring us a kingdom of prosperity. Bring us a kingdom where our enemies are wiped out like in the days of David. And bring us peace and prosperity like in the days of King Solomon. What they had no idea about was that the king of kings had a much higher agenda than something earthly. He was thinking about a spiritual kingdom. And that sheds light into this idea. Why it was that a few days later, their cries went from Hosanna, son of David, to crucify him. I'm not going to talk about the crucifixion because of this. On Thursday, uh, we're going to have a, a Maundy Thursday service here at 630 And so I just highly recommend that everyone come. Marcus is going to be talking about uh, the cross and the suffering of Christ. And so we'll leave that for Thursday. But, man, if if at all you can be here or if not, at least be online uh, because you don't want to miss that message. And that, I think, will prepare our hearts even better for Easter Sunday when we'll be talking about the resurrection. All right. So we go on with the story. Matthew chapter uh, 21, verse 10. And when he entered entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, the thing is, over the course of Jesus' ministry, um, there was there was always uh, confusion and debate about his identity. You remember when he asked his followers, he said, Who do men say that I am? And they had different answers. And then he said, Who do you say that I am? And then they, you know, Peter's the one that said, uh, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. But there was questions about his identity, who he really was. In the King James, it phrases the question like this. It says, what think ye of Christ? And for some reason, maybe because it's in an older English, 
that question sticks with me that way because I don't normally say thee and thou and ye, right? I don't normally speak that way. But when I ask that question, what think ye of Christ? It gives me pause to think about what do I really think about the Lord Jesus? What do I really think about his identity? Because the decision I make there is going to affect my entire relationship with him. For now, at the moment, as he entered Jerusalem, he was adored by the people. Now, when I think about um, a, a question of identity, I go back to my college days at LSU. And uh, we had a flag football team called Jesus Team. And so we had our jerseys. And uh, the only thing that made our jerseys different was we had different numbers on the back. But uh, instead of our last names, it actually said Jesus Team uh, right here between our shoulders, which reminded us we're representing somebody. Now, um, uh, and you know, the idea was to try to be a light to the LSU campus. Now, one of the guys that played on that team, some of you know him because he used to um, be at church. In fact, he was an elder for a while, uh, Vernon Cobb. And Vernon was, uh, was on that team. So on this particular day, Vernon was receiving a punt and the ball was flying down. He was looking up at it and he wasn't watching anyone coming towards him. And again, it was just flag football. It's really not uh, contact. You know, uh, usually it, it was not intentionally, right? Uh, but the guy on the other team got overexcited. And seriously, maybe he didn't know the rule. Anyway, they both collided. And then they're both laying on the ground. And after a little bit, we get Vernon up. And he's on the sideline. And we kept asking, man, you all right? You all right? And he kept saying, yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. Um, but a little bit later, he asked, what's today? And we said, Wednesday. And then he said, well, what time is it? And we told him what time it was. Well, nobody noticed. You know, a bunch of guys were just focused on the game. A little bit later, he says, hey, what's today? Wednesday. What time is it? And after about the third or fourth or fifth time, because we were all slow, not just me. Okay. But after about the fifth time or so, we realized maybe something's wrong with Vernon. And sure enough, uh, he had to be taken to the hospital and uh, there's actually a lot wrong with him, but his memory had just gone haywire, y'all. And so uh, the doctors were asking him all kind of questions about who he was, about his identity, about who he could remember. And at one point, like, I don't know what you would say. I don't know what I would say, but here's what he said. He said, all I know for sure is that I love Jesus. <laughs> and eventually, uh, you know, uh, he I mean, I think it was about a week later, his memory came back in full. But I mean, wow. Okay, so there was question about Jesus' identity. And so I throw out that question to you to ponder. What think ye of Christ? Which leads us to our third point, antagonized. Jesus had enemies. Uh, Wherever he went, uh, sometimes people followed him. Sometimes he faced opposition. Visibly. Uh, most visibly, it was the religious leaders, but invisibly, I mean, it was the enemy. It was Satan and the demonic realm. But know this, that Jesus did face opposition uh, and he was antagonized uh, by his enemies. So we start in Matthew 21, verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. Did you know that this very event was predicted as well 
I just want to read it because a lot of times people don't, don't know the verse. But way back in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Christ came, in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And it goes on, And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. You ever wonder why there are so many predictions about Christ? Why there couldn't be just five or ten? But actually there's hundreds. Well, it's because God wanted us to be certain that when the true king of kings came, there would be no argument. There would be no question, no doubt, no excuse. This is the one that God has sent. And he is the only one. Matthew 21, verse 14. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did. And stop and think about that phrase for a minute. When the chief priests and the scribes, that's the religious leaders, saw the wonderful things that he did. And the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes? You have prepared praise. The one thing I want to point out in uh, in these verses here is that in verse 15, it says the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things. Sometimes they would hear about a miracle and then they came running to complain about it. But in this case, They saw it, y'all. They saw it and they refused. They refused to acknowledge who Jesus was. I want to throw in this thought right now because I've had this conversation with folks over the years. When I find um, people, young people or or full-grown adults, when I find people who claim to be atheists, who claim to not believe in God, I find that they fall into two categories. There's the group that really doesn't believe in God. And so they just don't give it a second thought. It's just not in their mind. But there's another group of of those who claim to be atheists. And what I find with them is that in truth, it's not that they don't believe in God, but they don't want to. And the people in that group, what I find is that usually their desire not to believe begins somewhere in the past when they got their feelings hurt or something made them angry or God disappointed them or someone in church disappointed them. And now they just push away everything that reminds them of that pain. When I think about these chief priests and scribes, I think about that second group. I think it's not that they didn't believe. They just plain didn't want to. They saw those miracles and they still refused to acknowledge who Christ was. Jesus had opposition and people antagonized him. And there's a principle for you and me here again. If you want to serve God. Well, hear this, y'all. If you want to serve God, you need to know ahead of time. Sometimes you're going to face opposition. Sometimes you're going to be antagonized. You just need to know that. Okay. There is a spiritual war going on. Matthew 21, verse 17 And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. You ever notice that Jesus didn't hang around long where he wasn't wanted? 
You ever notice that? There's a principle, y'all. Again, there's a principle. Those that we love and those we pray for. Hey, we can love them. We can pray for them. We can tell them. We can point the direction. But you and I can't make the decision for anyone else. And so if someone is telling you just blatantly, I don't want to hear it, man, you have to respect that and just give the Holy Spirit more time to work and just keep praying for that person and move on to someone else who uh, might be more receptive, where the soil might be more fertile. Okay, our application, three questions to consider. The first question is this, what think ye of Christ? How you answer that question is going to determine how you serve the one we call Christ. The second question is this. Will you adore him? And the third question is this. Will you share his story in spite of opposition? Hey, let's put our heads down and let me pray for you. Dear Lord, I thank you. That even though the father was rejected and the son was rejected. And even the spirit when the church began. Lord, I thank you. That you've continued to work in a way. Reaching out to all of us, Lord, to the entire world, even though we don't deserve it. Lord, uh, there's people here who have a relationship with you. And I pray we would grow in our faith. And Lord, for those that are still uh, either distant from you or maybe don't know you at all. Dear God, I pray you would open their eyes and hearts to you. Reveal yourself in a powerful way. We thank you, Lord, that you really are the King of Kings. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.